Throughout history, important people have employed heralds or messengers to precede them. It's a, a trusted role uh, for a number of reasons. Not only does the messenger represent uh, the, the person that they precede, but they're also trusted to negotiate the terms of their arrival. In times of war, they were trusted to set the terms for duels, and uh, whether it's wartime or peace, they, they often make arrangements for the leaders to meet, or whoever it is that they represent. They're trusted to make the necessary preparations for the arrival of the one that they represent. In short, their role as a messenger is one of preparation for the thing that's about to happen. And tonight we're in Malachi. Uh, If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you can find the passage on page 850. Um, And in in the text that we're going to be looking at, we find that the role of a messenger is being extended to us now. We're looking at a prophecy where the Lord declares that he is coming and that he will send a messenger before him to clear the way. And to help us read this, I want to quickly point out a pattern, uh, the pattern of Malachi for us. It's, it's written in this, this repetitive style, and while the pattern itself isn't special, it does aid us in uh, understanding where the boundaries of thought are and what connects with what. Uh, and, and the pattern is made of four parts. It's an accusation or a thesis statement. Then uh, the accusation gets questioned or challenged. Then God gives a response to the question to defend the accusation. And then he explains what the implications of that response are. And the questioning is, is really just a device to emphasize the obvious truth of the accusation. So it's, it's kind of like the gate key scene in The Princess Bride. And since I'm referencing a movie that is 40 years old now, or nearly 40 years old, uh, I will give a quick synopsis of that four-line scene for those of you that haven't seen it. There are these people who are trying to break into a castle, and they've captured the guy in charge of the castle defenses, and one of them says to him, give us the gate key. So there we have our assertion, you have the gate key. Then the gatekeeper pretends to not know what they're talking about. I have no gate key. There's a ridiculous challenge to the assertion. The response, Fezzik tears arms off. And the gatekeeper, taking this response, wisely applies it to his life and says, oh, you mean this gate key. So if you want a helpful device to help you read Malachi, think of the Princess Bride. And the reason I want to point that pattern out is because it's going to help us tonight as we look at this to, to see what, what goes with the verse that we're going to be looking at and how to, to interpret this verse. So we're going to be reading Malachi uh, chapter 3. We'll start at, at ver, uh, verse 17 of chapter 2 because that's actually the beginning of this section. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Accusation. Yet you ask, how have we wearied him? Question. And then the response. When you say everyone who does what is evil is good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like cleansing lye. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. 
He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old and years gone by. And then finally, the implication, I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And specifically, we are focusing in on that first verse of chapter 3, which, again, noting the pattern, that's coming in God's response. See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And this is a direct response to the fact that Judah has wearied the Lord. And that's And what's really interesting here is uh, that although this is clearly a a judgment in these verses, it's not purely judgment. The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple or his throne room or palace. As believers, we recognize that the, the temple is where he dwells in a special way. And as such, it's effectively his palace or the seat of his authority. This is a joyful thing. At the time that this was written... Judah was one of over a hundred provinces in Persia. It would be safe to say that they didn't look on authority as a blessing. So the Lord coming to his temple, yes, please, relief. No more evil rule, the messenger of the covenant you desire. He's coming. The one that you've been waiting for. The one you've been hoping for. He is coming. This is cause to rejoice. And this is a prophecy with multiple horizons. You and I are still waiting for the final fulfillment. But it's already had its first fulfillment. And, and looking at its first fulfillment can help us apply it to ourselves and live in the light of the truth in this verse. So three of the Gospels identify John the Baptist directly as the first messenger here. They, they quote this verse. And it goes to reason that Jesus is the second. Jesus was and is the Lord, the messenger of the covenant. And as he came before, he will come again in authority to gloriously fulfill the covenant. So who's the messenger in the next fulfillment? You. It's you, Christian. It's me. Your life should herald the coming of the Lord. You are his messenger. Jesus is coming again, so get ready. I have two points of application for us tonight. The first... Prepare yourself for his return. Prepare yourself for his return. And second, clear the way for his return. Clear the way for his return. This is the the sort of truth that every believer hears and goes, yep, yeah, absolutely, he's returning and and we should be prepared. And I I don't doubt the genuineness of, of that response, but reflecting on your life, does it actually look like one of preparation? And obviously, I don't mean preppers like some daytime reality show about people with caves full of cans, goods that are woefully unaware of their own mortality. The passage that we read asks, who can endure the day of his coming? 
Who can stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire and like cleansing lye. Do you know what lye does to flesh? Don't Google it if you don't. It's just, it's bad. The kind of preparation that we are talking about is knowing Jesus. Not knowing of Jesus, but knowing Jesus personally. Coming to him in humble repentance and confessing that you have failed to live according to his standards. And that you need his forgiveness. He died for your sins and rose victoriously from the grave. He is alive. And the thing is that we are we're really quick to forget things and move on. I mean, how many, how many major events have happened this year that we're actually still talking about or even concerned about? How much time passed between Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day and then them thinking he wouldn't know if, if they disobeyed him? We don't know for certain, but knowing the patterns of the human heart, I'm inclined to guess it really wasn't much time. How much time passed between the promise of a savior and the world straying to the point of God flooding it? How much time passed between that and the Tower of Babel? How long after Christ's resurrection did we start losing focus? Acts tells us that he hadn't even finished ascending to heaven before angels had to remind people there was work to be done. It says in Acts, while Jesus was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes, stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? He's going to come back. Implication, get ready. Friends, we are spiritually narcoleptic. In a fast-moving vehicle, we are prone to falling asleep at the wheel, and that's not the picture of preparedness for anything. So, what does spiritual preparation look like? It looks like keeping short accounts with the Lord. It's regular confession. By being quick to confess sin in your life, you are demonstrating that you remember Christ what Christ accomplished, and now you're submitting to his heavenly rule. I remember Travis likening the idea of readiness to, to waiting for a bus. Someone who actually wants to catch the bus is going to be watching for it. They're going to be leaning out to see if it's coming. And having missed a bus or two, I can confirm that my posture did not look like that in those moments. Regular confession is making sure you have your bus ticket ready in hand so you're not fumbling for it when the bus arrives. And that confession ultimately drives you back to the cross over and over because it's where you find forgiveness. It's where you find the healing salve for the truth that you have wearied the Lord. Likewise, it it continually focuses you on what is true and what is good and what heavenly justice is going to look like because those are key problems called out in this passage that weary the Lord. We live in a world that regularly takes evil and calls it good. There's no limit to the permutations of what evil is and what it looks like. And it would be fruitless to try to learn them all so we can always identify them exactly. But by continually renewing our focus on Christ, we're continually reinforcing what is good. 
And you can recognize and oppose what is evil by knowing what is good. If it opposes good, then it must be evil. All of the spiritual disciplines work this way. They grow you. They train you in what's good. And they prepare you for his return. Over the past several weeks, we've been focusing on several of them. Fasting, prayer, service. Each one of those works towards preparing you. So I'd encourage you to enact on things that you've learned from them. ASAP. Because he's coming back and you need to be ready. So prepare yourself for his return by the constant renewing of your mind in regular practice of spiritual discipline. Focus on the one who is coming and it will drive you to regularly confess your sins, to meditate on his goodness. And by doing that, you are, by his grace, clearing away the obstacles in your own heart. Which brings us to the second point. Clear the way for his return. Clear the way. That's an active verb with implications. Clear the way. It's not heads up, I just want to let you know. It's a, there is work to be done. There's garbage in the street. Get cleaning. When company comes to visit, usually you spend some time cleaning and preparing for them. And I'm certain of that because, one, I'm not unique, and two, I have family staying with me right now. In 1900, Queen Victoria visited Ireland for a little more than three weeks. And in preparation for her visit, ship captains and factories and railway employees were all warned, don't blow any steam whistles, we don't want to bother her. A new pier was built in the the harbor at Dunleary just for her ship. An entire railway line was built so that she could have a view of the sea while traveling. I've ridden the line. The the view is beautiful. I recommend it. But the the scope of work that went into preparing for her visit is a little hard to comprehend. And at, at the end of the day, she's just another person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, is coming again. And we are his ambassadors. So let's get this place ready. What does that mean? Do I want you to go out and build railroads? No, not really, but also actually yes. Because if it will help advance the gospel, it is worth doing. If you remember the structure of Malachi that we talked about before, Malachi interprets itself. There's always an implication to be taken from from God's defense of the accusation, and we see that in verse 5. It says, I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It's social justice. Does the phrase maybe get your back up a little? Does it carry political baggage for you? Remember, this is the portion of the prophecy that that gets at what the implications of what God is driving at. And Malachi is often referenced as a book of social justice. It's one of its core themes. And here God connects it 
with a demonstrable fear of him and readiness for his return. How do we actively clear the way for Jesus' return? If he's coming to witness against all of these people who evidence their lack of fear in him by the social injustices they commit, then we can and should do the opposite. Don't swear falsely. Lies and false witness litter the way of the coming king. Don't throw more garbage down like that. Instead, be dedicated to the truth, even at great personal cost to you. Are you in the wrong in some conflict at work or school, at home or the church? Be ready to confess the full truth and trust God for the resolution. Don't just avoid oppressing the widow and the fatherless. Work for their good. So Roe v. Wade was just overturned, and we should be extremely grateful for that. But the battle is far from over, and it's relatively a hollow victory if the hearts of men and culture aren't actually changed. And we have the opportunity to affect that change through ministries like Fostering Hope and the CareNet. I'm thankful for the example I have in my own grandfather. When he retired from 30 years in ministry, he just went and found a nursing home where he could continue to talk to people about Jesus. He went to care, care for them in that way. And you also have a personal obligation to take opportunities to teach your friends and family what it means to be created in the image of God. We are image bearers. And a way that we show that is by caring for other image bearers before they've even confessed Christ as Lord. And Lord willing... God will use your care as an instrument in their salvation. Living in a way that holds up your fellow men as created in the image of God is like having a factory that just creates opportunities for sharing the gospel all day long. Every few minutes, another opportunity rolls off the line, and another one, and another one. And before I go further, I want to I pause for a moment and address some others that maybe weren't offended by, by the term social justice. If it didn't make you uncomfortable, did you maybe feel a rush of righteous indignation? Finally, someone's going to be calling out the racists and the classists and the fascists. Hold on. Why are you upset? What drives your love of social justice? Is it genuinely rooted in a hope of seeing the gospel shared with all men? Or is it maybe wrapped up in some of the political fervor that you're actually so upset about? Is it bound up in in knowledge that you too are actually a hypocritical offender of these things? And apart from the mercy of God through the grace of Christ, you too are the same kind of sinner. Does your social justice line up with God's? Did you know that in any given year, tens of thousands of refugees enter the United States? I'm so thankful for the the historical examples that we have in this church of people rallying around them to welcome these people and help them acclimate to life here. At one point, hospitals were more or less known as Christian institutions because Christians felt a strong obligation to care for their fellow men by providing health care for them, often at great personal cost to themselves. Shouldn't we still be known for that? 
What kind of witness would it be in this city to be known for the way that we care for the foreigner seeking justice? Oh, you're new here? You should meet the Christians. They're, they're really good at helping people get on their feet. And this is, this is Rhode Island that we are in. I know some of you live in Massachusetts. You should move closer. Somehow, all of our neighbors here in Rhode Island knew exactly who we were in our history before they ever talked to us. They, there is a network, how you, how you find out about your neighbors before you, you meet them. It's kind of strange. Can you imagine the conversations in those scenarios? Hey, I know you're a refugee from the Ukraine, and I couldn't help but notice you have a constant stream of people coming to help you. Ever since you got here, people just keep coming. Did you know them before you got here? That would be a profoundly powerful statement on what we think of Jesus if that's our witness in the community that we live in. Because when, when one person helps another because they like the person, it says something about the person being helped. Probably a pretty decent person. But when we help people that we don't even know because of what we think of Jesus, it says that Jesus is great. Living sacrificially because of who Jesus is says far more about how great he is. And doing so is actively clearing away debris from the world in preparation for his arrival. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Don't worry if the world thinks that we are crazy for our devotion in preparing for a party that no one else even thinks is going to happen, our job is to be messengers of the good news. He promised he was coming before, and he did. He promised that he's coming again. Why wouldn't he? Stay awake. Get ready. We are the voices in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's humbling that you would extend such a privilege to us to allow us to be your messengers. Help us to faithfully do that, to eagerly share the gospel at every opportunity as we await Christ's return. We pray this in his name. Amen.